0: this fear of being buried alive in a box
1: (laughs) i just i start thinking about being buried alive and i begin to panic Has, has has anyone ever ever tried to to bury you alive in a box
0: no no but truly thinking about it does make
1: my life horrible i mean i can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. <laughs> so what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh,
0: yes, yes, that's it.
1: <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life.
0: Well, shall I uh, write them down?
1: Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most we find most people can uh, can remember them.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: You ready? Yes. Okay, you're there.
0: Stop it. I'm sorry?
1: Stop it. Stop it? Yes. S T O P new word. IT. So what are you saying? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop
0: it. So I should just stop it.
1: There you go. I mean, you, 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 you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that Sounds frightening. Yes. Then stop it. I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no,
0: childhood.
1: No, no, no. No, we, we, we don't go there. Just, just stop. It.
2: That's going to make sense as we go through the message today. So just uh, bear with, uh, with me and with God's word. Because we do have the ability and the authority through Jesus Christ. To stop some of the things that we do. And I don't think that we realize that. So we'll get into that here in just a second. Again, James is dealing with pitfalls and blessings that believers have in his book. And the believer that wants to get closer to God can't just sit there. We must listen to God through his word and submit to his will in our lives. If you are a believer, the question is do you have to submit to God? And I think everyone in this room and everyone that's listening in would say, of course, you have to submit to God. But then a more tough question is, how many of us don't always submit to God? We need to be honest with ourselves because God knows our heart. God knows all things. But, you know, sometimes we submit subconsciously or temporarily to God's will. We're kind of like that child that mom puts into the high chair chair. And he's standing up, legs and knees locked. And she says, sit down so you can eat. No, sit down so you can eat. No, finally, he sits down. He submits on the outside, but on the inside, he's thinking, I'm still standing up. Sometimes we do that with God. We go, okay, I'll go along with this right now, but I'm going to see how quickly I can get involved in this for me. So open your Bibles as though your life depended upon it, because it truly does, and we're in the fourth chapter of James. The first four verses is what we're going to go through first, so follow along with me. And I'm re- reading from the uh, NLT version of this morning. What is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you do not have, so you scheme and kill to get, to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you cannot get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you do not have what you want because you do not ask God for it. Even when you ask, you do not get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Not a real good start to a chapter here. He's getting after everybody. Of course, he's speaking to the Jewish people at the time, but I I think in this day and age, he's speaking to each and every one of us. You see, quarrels and fights among believers are are here in this temporary place that we abide in right now, and we forget and just think this is the only place I'm going to be. And these quarrels and fights are always harmful. James explains that these conflicts result from evil desires that we have within us. Because you see, so often we want more possessions. We want more money. We want more recognition. We want a higher status. And the list goes on and on. Why? Because it's all about me. When we don't get what we want, we conspire to have it. This demonstrates why God simply says to covet is a sin. It can lead people to kill and pursue their desires or in frustrations of unfulfilled wants. We struggle because of self-centeredness to distinguish between wants and needs. While coveting can lead to murder, the killing James is referring to can also manifest itself in bitter hatred, in backbiting. Matthew 5, 21 and 22 says, You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are, su- you are subject to judgment. But I say to you, even you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of fires of hell. Different translations say, If you have no cause to be angry, yet you're angry, you are sinning. Some translations speak of just holding people in contempt. But again, don't we spend our childhood learning that name-calling game that we get involved in? It is so often the way we speak to people, to one another, and sometimes even to God, the way we speak reflects whether or not we're sitting down on the outside, but standing up on the inside. The point is this. Instead of aggressively pursuing what we want, we should submit ourselves to God and ask him to help us to get rid of this selfish, prideful desires that we have. And we have the ability to do that, and you will hear that as we go through. We need to trust him to give him what you really need. Need not by your standards, but need by his standards and his will. James also mentions in these verses the most common problems in prayer. And that's not asking or asking the wrong for the wrong things or asking for the wrong reasons. So the question is, do you truly have an intimate conversation with God when you're praying? And when I say conversation, that means that you are also listening to God. You're not just giving him a laundry list of things that you want or you're not just having a pity party. Or you're not just seeking approval of something that you want. Or trying to get him to correct somebody else without looking at yourself. Or asking him to forgive you of something that you know you should have never done. Our prayer should be for us to see and obey God's will. And seek what his desires are for our lives. We should pray for unity. We should pray to be able to encourage each other. Divided as the believers we have an insignificant impact on those around us. So I'm talking about an intimate conversation with the creator of the universe about how we can be his servant and about listening to what his desires are. Not just being in his word, but experiencing his word. Your pr- prayers will become powerful when you allow God to change your desires so that they correspond with his will for you. You should repent. Repent. And come to God in bold confidence after you do. Then you get to live what John writes in 1 John 3.22. With this bold confidence, we receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. There was a guy that was watching a football game one day and his phone rang. It was somebody that needed some information from him at work. And so he went to get that and as he, was, as he did, he was leaving the room that he was in but he wanted to hear what was going on, so he was attempting to turn the volume up, but the volume wasn't going up, and he thought the con- remote control was broke, when in reality he'd gotten too far away from the TV or an obstacle had gotten in a line of sight and the remote wasn't working. How many people today might say, well, God, Jesus, the Bible doesn't work for me? Is it that you're too far away? Or is that there is an obstacle between you and the prayers that you send to God? Closeness and intimacy are what God wants, so we can have that full experience. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a pleasurable life. God blesses us when we really don't deserve it. But having a friendship with the world often involves seeking things at the expense of others and at the expense of being obedient to God. Remember, putting God off until something feels good or until you have time for it is disobedience. Decisions that keep us from pleasing God is sinful. And you see, God creates situations, allows scenarios, and at times causes issues. And the reason that happens is because he wants to create a situation where we know that we can only lean on him and realize that we are dependent upon him. Why does James say it's impossible to be a friend of the world and a friend of God at the same time? You see, there are two different paths that are there. They go in opposite directions, and they have different destinations. Being a friend of the world leads us to self-centeredness, materialism, and death without hope. Proverbs 14, 12 says, The path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. And yet God's path leads to faith, hope, and love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these of love. And then there's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians five, twenty-two, twenty-three: 23. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. When we have those things, we have everlasting life. And that is the path that God wants for each and every one of us. He wants that everlasting, eternal life for each of us. So let's go to verse 5. Do you think that the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. Different translations may say the spirit that God has placed within us opposes our envy. The verse may also mean that because of our fallen nature, we have a ten- tendency to be envious. A fallen nature that leads us to pride, leads us to a lack of self control. But again, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, the blood of Jesus Christ, we have the power to resist. We have the power to stop it. We have the power. And the blessing to repent and change our ways. Let's go to verse 6 through 10. And he gives grace generously. As scripture says, God opposes the proud, but his grace to, is, gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. What can we do to combat our selfish, self-centered tendencies? Be humble. Live a life of humility. Fight against pride. Or we're prideful, stop it. Simply stop it. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before the fall. Better to live humble with the poor, with the poor than share plunder with the pride. proud. Pride makes us think that we deserve all we can see, all we can imagine, all we can grab hold of regardless of the cost. We want more than we need. We believe that what we want is what we need. We deserve things that others have. We begin to judge and convince ourselves that we deserve things that other people have. We're entitled to things that other people have. Thus, with that entitlement, we decide that we need it. Often we think of ourselves, as we look at things, not only do we deserve it, But God wants us to have it. And we begin to think we're God and we begin to take things. Yet if we humble ourselves before God, realizing that all we really need is to put him at the center of our lives and he gives us all we need, including good desires. Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to what pleases him. When the Holy Spirit fills us, we see the world's seductive attractions for what they really are. They are cheap. They are temporary substitutes for what God offers us. Drawing near to God means that we get close and have a personal relationship with God. But that relationship comes out of a heart that has been changed by the blood of Jesus. So how can we come close to God? James gives us five ways. First, he says, Humble yourself before God. Yield to his authority. Yield to his will. Commit your life to him and his control and be willing to follow him. Next, he says, Resist the devil. Have that self control. Do not allow the evil one or man to entice you or tempt you. Stand on Jesus' promises and deepen your faith. There are times that Satan will tell you that you are not worthy. I have found in the past, that's the time I thank him for reminding me I'm not worthy. But at the same time, I remember God's promise, his grace, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. And you know what? He doesn't bring those up. Satan doesn't bring those up anymore because he doesn't want you to go there. Unfortunately, we're human, and so we'll give him something else that he can throw at us. We need to stay focused on God. Satan will also tell you what a great job you're doing. And you would do something for the Lord, and we feel good about it, and sometimes we want to boast about it. Satan will just egg you on with those boastful comments. Yeah, you're doing a great job. Who's really doing a great job? God is. You're his obedient servant. Live in humility. Number three, wash your hands and purify your hearts. Lead a pure life. We should be cleansed from sin, replacing it with desires to experience, not just to have head knowledge and know of God's love, grace, and mercy, but to experience it, to walk with him, and to live through it. Number four, let there be tears of what you have done. Repent. And I mean truly, truly repent. Don't be afraid of, to express deep, heartfelt sorrow for what you have done. God knows what you have done. It breaks his heart it should break yours also. Number five, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God that at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Recognize that your worth comes from God. It comes from God alone, not anything that you have done, not anything that you have said. To be humble involves leaning on his power and guidance and not going your own way or relying on self. We don't deserve God's favor, yet he wants to lift us up and give us worth, dignity, despite our human shortcomings. Go back real quick to verse 7. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Although God and the devil are at war, We don't have to wait to see who wins. We know who's going to win. But Satan is going to continue to tempt us over and over again. And if he can't tempt us enough, he will seek to destroy us. Yet the bottom line is, he won't win. Jesus is coming again. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to resist. And when we resist, Satan leaves. When you get on a highway, when you're getting on that on-ramp to get on the highway, you're going 35, 50 miles an hour, however you get on a ramp. And I know everybody gets on differently. Some of us get on at like 85, thinking we need to blend into traffic. But the bottom line is this. We're going to have to merge into that traffic. And so you need to look to see if anybody's in that lane because you're in a short lane. God has the right of way of our life. He's moving with his plan for your life. We must yield to his will. Our actions and plans must be in line with his will. And the other thing is we can't be driving the car with our ego. We need to be driving with the humility that God wants us to have. You start driving with your own ego you need to give him the wheel because lord knows what exit you will take then and it may not be the right one verses 11 and 12 do not speak evil against each other dear brothers and sisters if you criticize and judge each other then you're criticizing and judging god's law but your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or destroy. So what do you have to judge? So why do you judge your neighbor? Jesus summarized the law as loving God and your neighbor. And Paul said that the love demonstrated toward your neighbor will fully satisfy God's law. Romans 13, 8. to anyone... Accept your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not covet. These and other commands, commandments are summed up in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. When we fail to love others, instead we choose to judge them and criticize them. We are breaking God's law. Examine your attitudes and actions toward others. Do you build people up or do you tear them down? When you're ready to criticize someone, remember God's law that we are to love one another. We should say things that are positive and, and encouraging. You know, so often in sports, you see some folks that uh, get paid a lot of money to play the game of baseball. They've got some really great equipment. And you see a guy that's making tons of money, and he's playing, i uh, a pick a position here, shortstop. And they hit a ground ball to him, he goes over, he gets in front of it, and he goes right between his legs. I know everybody in here says, oh, that's okay. You know the coach says, oh, that's okay. You no, know, there are people that go, how much money do we pay this guy to miss that ball? We could put an eight-year-old out there, and he, he might have even caught it. Find something positive to say, especially if you're dealing with children. You know, hey, you did really good. You got right in front of it. You got right in front of that ball. And that new nice glove that Dad bought you, you know, it's really a good glove. And stop. Don't walk away and say, and next time, use it, Okay. But that's the way we do things. That's the way we speak to one another. We want to pick them, lift them up, and then at the very end, we just throw them under the bus. Stop where God intends you to stop. Be positive and encouraging to one another. And so often, it depends upon how we say it. Not just what we say, but how we say it. We may ask, why did you do, do something? And they may give you an explanation, maybe a perfectly good explanation, but it wasn't the way you would have done it. So rather than understanding where they're coming from, we want to critique what they did. I don't know why you did it that way. It was really dumb. Let me tell you a better way to do it. You know, you can say the same thing. You can offer them another option of how to do something without beating them up. And don't get me wrong, there are times that people need to be corrected, and sometimes that is painful, depending upon what has happened. But still seek a way to share love and grace with one another. How often do we see something and we say, I don't understand why they're they're doing that? You know what? There's a really good possibility that they don't understand it either. They seem to be so caught up with self and personal agendas that that's why they're doing it, but they don't even realize the true reason why they're doing it. Speak constructively, respectfully, speak in truth and love to one another. Verses 13 through 16. Look here, you, you who say today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It is here for a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if God, if the Lord wants us to, we will live here and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. James is not saying it's not good to have goals. But often goals disappoint us, especially if God is not part of that goal-setting process. And sometimes we set goals and those goals become our God. And that's never good. Why make plans as though God doesn't exist? Because everybody says God is in control of all things. So why do we make plans and leave him out of them? Seizing opportunities and being assertive without considering God's wants will lead to frustrations. James is just warning about our depending on ourselves for the future. So here's where good planning starts. Good planning can start by asking some questions. What would I like to be doing in 10 years? And I know John and I would tell you in 10 years, we'd just like to be breathing. That would be good. Be a good start. Some people will say, what would we like to be doing in a year? Or what would we be like to be doing in uh, tomorrow? Ask this question. How will I react if God steps in and rearranges my plans? So we should plan, make those plans loosely, or better yet, we should plan and put God at the center of the planning process. For he will not disappoint us. It may not mean that the the plan may not be as perfect as you think it should be. But it will be a blessed plan. Life is short, no matter how long we live. No one knows the length of their life. So do not be deceived into thinking that you have time to build a legacy, that you have time to really figure out this, who this Jesus guy is, and you'll just do that tomorrow, or you do not have time uh, to really get close to your family, you need to live each and every day for God. And if you live each and every day for God, no matter how short or long your life is, you will fulfill what God wanted to accomplish through you. You will be his child and his servant. In verse 17... Remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. We tend to think of sin as just being something that God says we shouldn't do. But James tells us that sin is also failing to do what is right. We have the sin of commission. But James is telling us you also have the sin of omission. It's a sin to lie. But it's also a sin to know the truth and not to speak up. It's a sin to speak evil of someone, but it's also a sin to avoid that person when they're in need. You should be willing to help and encourage as the Holy Spirit guides you. If God has prompted you to do a kind act, to render service, to restore a relationship, do it. Do not make it about you. Make it about him and his will for your lives and the lives that he brings before you, you will experience a renewed faith. You know, football coaches often tell guys when they're learning to block or when they're learning to tackle, you need to stay low. You need to be able to get that leverage and just stay low. We should stay underneath the radar of pride. We should stay low in things that we do. You see, the moment we use our knowledge, our prestige, our power, our resources to attempt to be like God or to think that we do not need God, it will be clear very soon that that there is only one God. So we need to stay humble beneath his mighty hand. As believers, we often display signs that we are Christians. And we wear shirts, we wear bracelets, we have bumper stickers. That advertisement is all well and good, and I'm not discouraging that. That is awesome that you boldly do that. And it may be that there will be times that people will walk up to you and say, I see you have that shirt on, so you must be a Christian. And they may ask you a question about Jesus, and that's an opportunity for you. And I encourage you to tell them about Jesus, not about yourself. But listen to this. We should be so in love with Jesus. And we should live our lives in such a manner that the day will come when someone will walk up to you and they don't even know you. And they say these words. I can tell you're a believer. Can you tell me about Jesus? That should ooze, the love for God should ooze from our lives, from our smile, from our handshake, from our greeting, from all that we say and all that we do. Yeah, it's great to advertise that we're Christians. I know our youngest son, I've said this before, when he got out of high school, he said, I want to get a tattoo, and I thought, oh, Lord, help me. So, why do you want to do that? Well, I just want to get a tattoo. I said, That's, You shouldn't do that. And so I'm thinking, God's going to help me out of this. I said, So, what kind of tattoo do you want to get? He says, I want to get the scripture. If God is for us, who can be against us? And I thought, God, you are not helping me right now. <laughs> and so I try another technique. I say, You know what? That tattoo may cost you your life one day. He didn't say a word. He just smiled. We want to live our lives so others see Christ in us, in what we say, in what we do. We have the ability to do just that. For the fruits of the Spirit that we should have, for the power that the Holy Spirit gives us to resist evil, all temptation especially the temptation of pride it's within us it's within our, in our dna lorena i want to close with a, a couple of things you know when you get an opportunity to say to speak about jesus do so boldly but do so with him at the center not out of pride in fact, if you get that opportunity, be careful how quickly you want to run and tell somebody what you've done because you haven't saved anyone. The blood of Jesus has done that. Be that quiet vessel that works within the will of God. Have that teachable spirit that is open to hear God. And I'll say this to the guys quit being that 15 year old boy that goes, I don't know why I did that. Stop it, guys. Stop it. You have the power to do that. The Holy Spirit is within you to stop it, turn away from it. May you live like this. As you leave today, think on these things. I don't need to be the best looking one in the crowd. Because God doesn't look and see what I'm wearing. God doesn't look and see that my hair is falling out. God looks at my heart. I don't need to have the most money in the room because my wealth is in God's grace and mercy through the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't need to be the most knowledgeable person in the room because I am here as the bondservant of God Almighty, and I do what he desires for me to do. I am a child of God.